Verse 1 of 1 Samuel chapter 2. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies. Because I rejoice in thy salvation. Now this prayer of thanksgiving, verses 1 to 10, which is given by Hannah as she leaves her son Samuel at the tabernacle, lent on to the Lord as long as he liveth. This thanksgiving will remind you of the Magnificat of the Virgin Mary. Because her song is like this song. Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord. My spirit hath rejoiced in God my Saviour. The same joy, the same gladness, he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. The same magnifying of God, the same deep-rooted rejoicing. Mary had that. She consumed Hannah's prayer and it came out in the words that she spake in Luke chapter 1. She's drawing from this. And I want to call this praise Hannah's Magnificat, where she magnifies her God. We want to look at it tonight. As I said, we'll probably take at least another Wednesday night to go through it. I hope that I get through it rather quickly, but that's not going to be the case. Because I have realized that this is a very special woman. And her Magnificat is something that cannot be rushed by. And so the, the Lord is pausing us at it, I believe, to think and meditate upon it for a while. This psalm of hers, and that's really what it is, it's like a beacon. And it's a beacon over the whole book of Samuel. It really lightens up the whole way before us as we go into the book of Samuel. And it's placed here at the start with purpose. The Holy Spirit has divine purpose when he puts it here at the start. He wants us to listen to Hannah. He wants us to give heed to her. And she is someone we should want to hear. She has something to say. She has something to sing. She sings it well. And we have to listen. She has someone to magnify. And she wants us to join her. And to magnify him with her. That is the Lord. We could write over this psalm. Come here all ye that fear God. And I will declare what he hath done. For my soul. So that's what she's doing. She's declaring what God has done for her soul. She has something to tell us, and we have to listen. You know, if someone has found a great physician and he or she is cured of a terrible ailment that she was suffering from or he was suffering from, and if we had that ailment, uh, wouldn't we want to learn about how it's healed? about how the ailment is dealt with, what is the answer for it. Whenever we have uh, some sickness or some problem or maybe we fear there's something coming on and what, what, what do we do? Well, we get the books out, the medical books, or maybe go on the internet and we go all around the world on the internet to try to see how people dealt with this problem. What's the answer? 
What's the answer to the problem? How can I be cured of this malady? But we don't have to travel all around the world because we can do what Hannah did. Hannah found the great physician. She found the one who had the answer for her. She didn't have to spend a lot of money. She just came to the temple and she cried unto the Lord and the Lord heard her cry. That's, that's the answer. That's the answer for all her ailments. That's the answer for all her problems. The Lord heals. The Lord helps. The Lord delivers. And Hannah has proved that. And she wants us to know this. And so this song is her telling us this. You know, we still believe in miracles. God still answers prayer. God still intervenes. There's many a barren woman who has been made to bear. Even yet, it is still taking place in the world. God hears prayer. God heals. God marvelously raises up. Many of us here have proved this. In fact, all of us, I am sure to some degree or another, have proved this. The Lord has heard us in our sore distress. And he delivered us out of it. And so Hannah is here giving thanksgiving because of her deliverance. And she's telling us then, in actual fact, about, about the great physician we want to hear about. She's magnifying this God who did it all. It's a song about the Lord. And so, child of God, have you a need tonight? Are you sick? Are you spiritually barren? Are you distressed about something in your life? Are you concerned that you're a poor, poor Christian, perhaps? Is there something weighing you down? Are you not going on with God the way you would like and are concerned about it? Here's the answer. Here's the great physician that Hannah is introducing us to. Here's the one who makes the barren to be fruitful. Here's the one who raises up not only the humble, but the humble who were in the dust, the humble who were trod upon, the humble who were defeated, as it were, under the feet of their adversary. But she cried unto the Lord, and, and he delivered her. So listen to Hannah. If you're distressed as she is distressed, do what she did. I said it on the Lord's Day, but I want to emphasize it again tonight as we go into this Magnificat. The place where she sung this song. I have to remind you of the place where she praised the Lord. It was the place where she met the Lord. It was the place where the Lord heard her cry. It was the same place where it all began. It's at that place that she sings this psalm. Now it's three years later. The child is weaned. He's three or four years of age. It's quite a long time has passed. But she holds back her praise and she holds back her thanksgiving till she gets to the place. The place where it all commenced. The place where the Lord heard her. The place where the deliverance began. So she knows the place. She hasn't forgotten. And she goes back to the place and she renders her praise where her petition had been given. 
You see that there in verse 26 of chapter 1. She's talking to Eli. O my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman that stood by thee here. She didn't just say, I'm the woman that prayed. I'm the woman that you thought was drunk. I'm the woman whose lips were quivering but you couldn't hear anything. She she says, I'm the one who stood by thee here. Right here. Right at this place. And on the Lord's day we saw what that place was because we read there in the verse 9, Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. By the doorpost. So she is standing by that place, the doorpost of the temple. Now, as I said on the Lord's Day, note the doors and the doorposts of Holy Scripture. They're very important. Pause at them. Reflect upon them. It's at the doorpost where the high priest is seated. And on his throne, it was here. It was in this place. This very spot. Where it all began. Where I met the Lord. And he heard me. The place of the Passover lamb. The blood applied. The place where the firstborn is delivered. And comes forth. At the doorpost. It was at the place. Where the firstborn experiences the salvation. In the house of God. At the doorposts. And her firstborn comes forth. Because she was at the doorpost. Crying on to the redeemer. About him and for him. And she was heard. And she doesn't forget the place. And she's not likely to forget the place. And every time she goes back again, she'll remember the place. It was here. You know, when you meet with God and you know know the place where you met with God, you don't forget. Is there a place in your life where you can bring me to? And say, here. Here's where it began. Here's where it started. It was here. Perhaps it's appropriate to give a a word of personal testimony tonight. I don't think I've ever done that, maybe in this congregation. But the place. Now, of course, it was Bethany. Uh, Bethany has been rebuilt. But the prayer meeting hall at the back of the church is still more or less the same. And it was in that place where I first called upon the Lord. That was my first time in Bethany. All the preaching of the gospel I got at school whenever Miss Red had the class. And I, in the providence of God, ended up in his class, hearing the gospel. But I had never gone to church, a free Presbyterian church. But the Lord was really working in my heart. One Lord's Day evening, I went down to Bethany. And I, I didn't have very many fine clothes. I was just a young fella rough and tumble and tough with my long flowing curly hair which you could hardly get your brush through in the mornings I had to borrow my father's tie to go down to the service find the best shirt I could only probably one decent pair of trousers and they probably weren't very acceptable for church Um, what they called a crumby coat that you threw on that the tough guys wore in those days so I was going down looking more like Al Capone than anything else (laughs) down to church and I remember my friends outside outside the, the state Looking at me. I've never seen them as quiet. <laughs> this fellow, he's going to church. McCammon's going to church. You know, and 
well, I knew the Lord was working in me and I knew something had to be done. And I went into the inquiry room that night and there were actually quite a few in the inquiry room. There were probably around a dozen souls and there I was sitting along with others and there were different personal workers coming in and dealing with the others but uh, nobody came to me. <laughs> must have been the long hair and the crumby coat must have put them all off. But Mr. Elliot, after he'd done all the handshaking or whatever, he came in and he saw me sitting there on my own and he spoke to me and he read the scriptures and prayed with me and that's where I first called upon the Lord. Now, of course, I wasn't made sinless that night uh, by any means. And there are people on the journey a lot shorter than me who bypassed me. They've bypassed me and I have nothing to boast about or to glory in. And I sometimes feel I'll be the one who goes in last into glory. That's just the way I feel about the matter. But it was there that it all began. When we first met the Lord. It was here. We can go to the place. Can you bring me to the place? Is there a place? Where you first met the Lord. Where you first cried on to him. Where it first began. This is what Hannah is telling us. She's telling us of the great God who she met here, here at Eli. And now what does, she, what, what does she say here? Look at verse 1. Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. Now, you notice something here straight away, whenever you look at this verse. And compare it with verse 13. And whenever she first prayed, verse 13, she spake in her heart. Well, there's her heart again. But she's speaking in her heart. Quietly. She spake in her heart. Only her lips moved. They're kind of quivering. Her voice is not heard because there's no voice coming out. And Eli, of course, he just sees these quivering lips praying in her heart and he thinks she's She's drunk and we looked at that. But in chapter 2, there's no more quivering lips. And it's not just in her heart. Pray. Her heart's bursting out. My heart's rejoicing. It's enlarged. And it's bursting out. And she's really praising God. She's not quiet anymore. And her lips aren't quivering anymore. Do you see what she says there? My mouth is enlarged. She's opened her mouth wide. You know this word enlarged? It gives you an idea of a large chamber. A massive big room. A large space. A large room. And her mouth is so enlarged. You can see into the chamber of her mouth. Eli's not calling her drunk now. Eli can hear very well what she says now. This is a prayer to be heard. The one in her heart... It's not one kind of to be heard by us. Although it's revealed unto us. Because she tells us. But here is one to be heard. The Holy Spirit wants us to hear it. She's opened her mouth. She's opened the chamber of her heart. The volcano has erupted. The lava flows upwards. Fills the chamber of her mouth. And pours out into Eli's ear. All over the book of 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. Down through the ages. And the lava is still reaching us today. So great is the chamber of her heart. So great is the chamber of her mouth. That the contents of it. In the power of the Holy Spirit. 
are still reaching us today. And it keeps on pouring out. This is a mighty psalm. That's why it's here at the start of the book. It's worth hearing. It's worth listening to. Do you see how she says, my horn is exalted. Now the horn, there are many things that could be said about the horn, the horn of the beast. I'll only say one thing. The horn, whenever the beast was slain, and the horn retained, it was very useful. It could be used as a trumpet, and was used as a trumpet, the ram's horn. It also was used as the vessel, the receptacle for carrying the anointing oil. And so we read in this book about certain ones who are anointed, and the oil of anointing, and the horn that receives the oil, and she's saying, my horn, if we think of it in terms of the receptacle of the oil, my horn is exalted. I want to lift up my horn. It's full. It has something to say. It has something to show. And so she's filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what she's saying. This is a woman anointed. This is a woman filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. Full of power. And if her horn is exalted, and her mouth enlarged, even over her enemies, and in the midst of her enemies, this is something worth listening to. So you see why I couldn't pass by it? We had to land our helicopter in the midst of this forest, and we're going to have to go from tree to tree to tree. Because it's something we have to pause at. And if there's something the Lord wants us to pause at, we're going to do that. And we're doing that tonight. Now remember her circumstances. It is true she has a, a, a newborn. But remember her family troubles are I'm sure still existing to some extent. Penina is still living. She still has more children than Hannah. It's a time of national calamities. The Philistines will be coming across them. The danger that they are to the people of God. Dangerous times. Difficult times. Eli, he can't even tell when a person's praying. And then Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. What a disaster. Apostates. An apostate church. An apostate age. An age when you don't have much to rejoice in. An age when there are all the circumstances are, are negative and bleak. And yet she has a large heart. And a rejoicing soul. Why? Why is she able to do this? How is it that she gets victory over the circumstances? Well she tells us. Verse 1. My heart rejoiceth in the Lord. I have the Lord. I'm rejoicing in him. You know whatever your circumstances are. However bleak and dark they may be. You have the Lord. That ought to be a cause of rejoicing. Be glad in the Lord. Thank God for what you have. Not what you don't have. But what you do have. You have the Lord. And you can rejoice in the Lord. And she's exultant because of the Lord her Savior. And didn't the Apostle Paul tell us, rejoice in the Lord? And again I say, rejoice in the Lord. He gets this from, from Hannah. Hannah did that. Hannah had the victory. Hannah saw the, what was important. She met God. And she was able to rejoice in him. And you need to do that too, child of God. 
Rejoice in the Lord. Remember, the Lord is your Savior and your Redeemer. And so Hannah is a mother in Israel. And we want to listen to mothers. Some think she's young. I don't know how they've come to that conclusion. And as far as I'm concerned, she's more like Elizabeth than, than Mary in that regard. She's old, older, but she's a lovely woman because she's a lovely soul. John Chrysostom, he is called the golden mouth preacher. And he's called the golden mouth preacher because he was a great preacher, a great order. You know, they used to clap and applaud John Chrysostom in the church in Antioch whenever he waxed eloquent and was making them feel thrilled and excited, they would break out into applause because sometimes he refers to the applause and the, and the homilies that have been written down. You wouldn't think that the church applauded. In those days they did because the people liked to listen to or- oratory and great orators and they could appreciate that. Uh, and John Chrysostom, he put an end to that. He, he called that a halt on that. But he was a great preacher. And he was enchanted by Hannah. And he preached, I think, was five sermons on her. And he didn't preach as many on Saul and on David, but he preached five sermons on Hannah. They've only been re- recently translated, about 20 years ago or so. There's hundreds of volumes of Greek fathers and Latin fathers that have never been translated into English. But he said about Hannah, he says, I cannot get this woman out of my mind. So amazed am I at her beauty of soul and charm of thought. Then he talks about her eyes. Then he talks about her mouth from this text. And then he talks about her, her heart and how beautiful she was and how charming she was. John Chrysostom, of course, he was, he was celibate. He didn't have a wife. But if he had a wife, she would probably be a bit worried the way he was waxing eloquent on this woman. So anyway, she's worth considering. And we can't bypass her in one sermon. And we certainly have to listen here at what she has to say about the Lord. Now, I think the key word here is the word at the end. It's the very last word in verse 1. Salvation. Thy salvation. Why is she rejoicing? Why is she glad? She had a little baby? Yes, of course. But more than that, thy salvation. The Lord's deliverance, the Lord's power of salvation and his grace in her life. She's singing of deliverance. And you know, there's nothing so wonderful to sing about and God's salvation. That's the only thing worth singing about. We know Hannah here is a prophetess. This is prophecy. It's no, it's no ordinary prayer. As I said, she's been moved by the Spirit and she's going beyond her experience of having a little baby boy. She's going beyond that. And she's going to this matter of the Saviour. The mighty Saviour. And the mighty Redeemer. And this word, salvation, is the word Yeshua. It's the word that makes us think of Jesus. Thy Jesus. Thy salvation. Thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people. He brings salvation. He's Yeshua. And it's a psalm of Hannah. And this is how the book begins. With Yeshua. And the psalm about Yeshua. Only three times the word occurs in the book of Samuel. And by the book of Samuel I mean First and Second Samuel. I want to 
retain its unity. And we want to go through both, both books, both parts of it, if, if we are at all able to do so. But at the start of it, we have Yeshua, the this, this salvation of God. At the end of the book, in 2 Samuel chapter 22, near the end, there's another pillar. There's a pillar at each end. They're both Psalms. The Psalm of Hannah, chapter 2. The Psalm of David, 2 Samuel, chapter 22, near the end. And they're, they're the same themes. And these pillars enclose the whole book. They enclose the whole volume. And they're enclosing this Yeshua, this God of salvation, this God of grace, telling us about him in typology, in teaching, in prophecy, in so many different ways, but it's enlarging God. Now, David's psalm is much longer, far greater. The little river has become a mighty river by the end. And that's something else about this, this psalm of, of Hannah's. It's like a brook. Begins here in chapter 2, but it flows through the whole book. And every chapter... You can visit the brook. And you can read that chapter in the light of this psalm. And we'll be visiting the brook often as we go through the book. We'll be looking at this psalm because this psalm is a beacon, a pillar over the whole book. And as the brook goes through the book of Samuel, it gets wider and wider and wider until it goes out into the great ocean of that last psalm in chapter 22. If you turn to it, you'll see there in verse 51, 2 Samuel chapter 22, and the verse 51. Uh, practically the whole psalm is chapter 22, but we're coming near to the end. The end now. Psalm 2, it was at the start. The Yeshua at the start of chapter, the first psalm in chapter 2. But now this great river... This great lake now, this psalm in the chapter 22, we come to the end of it. What does it say there? He is the tower of salvation. The third occurrence of the word at the end of the book. Yeshua at the end of the book. Enfolding, enclosing, rejoicing in thy salvation. And David is singing at the end of a psalm as he concludes it. The great tower of salvation. That's the Lord. And that's how the Holy Spirit has enclosed this book. It's a marvellous book. It's given by pen of inspiration. It hasn't been designed by a mere human scholar. It's been given by the pen of inspiration. So that Yeshua encloses the whole lot. And we have to read the whole book in the light of that overlooking tower of salvation, overlooking it all. And wherever we go in the book, we'll be able to look in the distance and we'll see that tower, that high tower of salvation. You'll never miss it. Wherever you are, whatever chapter you're in, even should it be the fall of David, even should it be the rebellion of Absalom, you can look into the distance and you can remind yourself there is the tower of salvation. It's a wonderful book. It's a drama. It's living. It's alive. And you want to go into it. And follow the brook through it. 
as we explore this, this wonderful country in this wonderful of book of the early prophets that has been given the name by us of Samuel. David and Hannah are speaking about the same thing. You've delivered me from my adversaries. You've given me a mouth of exaltation over my adversaries, my enemies. And David is the same. He wrote that psalm. In the day when the Lord delivered him from all his adversaries, all his enemies. It's the same theme. It's the same song. Although by the end of the book it has become now a mighty lake of 50 odd verses. So this, this is a very important psalm at the start. And that's why I feel we, we just can't race through it. We have to pause at it. And we have to read the, the rest of the book in the light of both these towers at either end. Especially as we work through it, this, this first tower of, of Hannah's. It's the lens by which we look at the book. And it would be good if you go and read through the book. As you read each chapter, it would be good just to go back to this prayer of Hannah's and see See, is there any connection between what you read in this chapter and the prayer of, of Hannah's? See how that psalm is, is manifested and proved throughout the book. To give you one example, in chapter 5 of 1 Samuel, you read that the Philistines, they took the ark of God, verse 2, and they brought it into the house of Dagon, and they set it beside Dagon. Here's the Lord, his ark, Beside Dagon, beside the idol. Whenever the people of Ashdod they rose in the morning, what had happened? Dagon was down on the floor. I'm sure he was higher up than the ark. But whenever they come in in the morning, he was brought down low. Does that sound something familiar? Hannah's Sam brought down low. And then they put him up again, and they come down, and then he's brought down low. But not only is he brought down low, he's broken. He's mashed to pieces, parts of his body. He's been dashed. And, and that's all in, in, psalm, in the psalm of Hannah's. If you look there at verse 2 of chapter 2, uh, the next verse to the text that we've been opening up with, there is none holy as the Lord, there is none beside thee. Do you see that? Hannah's saying, Lord, there's, there's nobody beside thee. They put the Ark of the Covenant beside Dagon. There's nobody beside the Lord. And so the Lord gave him a push, a shove. I'm God alone. There's nobody beside me. It's all here. This is the whole beacon that, that helps us to interpret and see aright the teaching of the Holy Spirit in the book. In the book. It's an unfolding of the book to some extent in this Second chapter. Now whenever Hannah speaks about God's salvation. She's telling us. This is why my heart is enlarged. This is why my heart. My horn is exalted. This is why my mouth is enlarged. And my heart is rejoicing. Because. That word because. Very important. Why are you so happy Hannah? Well, I know it's not because of banana. I know it's not because of Elkanah. And I know it's not because, not because of Eli. And certainly not because of the state of the church. Why are you so happy, Anna? Because I rejoice in thy salvation. Everything's turning on that salvation. Everything's turning on Yeshua. On the Lord Jesus. 
on his grace and what he's done. Now, I wonder, congregation, do, do you have the joy of the salvation tonight? Do you still have it? Maybe you need to go back to the place. Maybe you need to visit the place again. Are you exalting over Satan and sin and hell? Have you the joy of the Lord? Maybe tonight we have to pray, Restore unto me the joy, Lord, the joy of thy salvation. Rejoicing in the salvation of God. I want to close with the other reference to the word salvation in the book of Samuel. Now, obviously there are other little words that come off from this word, like this word, but this is the only three occurrences of this word in particular that Hannah uses, as far as I understand, uh, going through my concordance, as far as I understand. And the other occurrence is in 1 Samuel, chapter 14, and the verse 45. You remember, Jonathan, he, he wrought a great deliverance, but Saul had put the people under an oath not to eat until they had the victory. Final victory. And Jonathan didn't hear the oath. Saul said, whoever broke the oath was to die, to be put to death. And you remember Jonathan, he did take the, the honey, he got the honey, took the food, and in his ignorance he broke the oath of Saul, the solemn oath. And there is a possibility that Jonathan's going to have to die. Because Saul said, thou shalt surely die, Jonathan. Imagine saying that. But in verse 45, the people said unto Saul, shall Jonathan die? Who hath wrought this Great salvation in Israel. And this is that word that Hannah uses and that David uses about the tower of salvation. That's called here great salvation. Now the, the great salvation here is, is a human deliverance. It's a divine deliverance through a human instrument, Jonathan, of the people from, from their enemies, the Philistines, a mighty intervention of God. It was wrought in God and was wrought with God because you'll see there in verse 45, he hath wrought with God this day. Shall Jonathan die? Who has wrought this great salvation? He wrought it, but he didn't wrought, work, work it on his own. He worked this great salvation, but he worked it with God. For he hath wrought with God this day. And so the people rescued Jonathan. And he didn't die. You see that? He didn't die. Here's a saviour who worked salvation. Who worked with God's salvation. But it's only the ordinary salvation, and he didn't die. He didn't die for this salvation. This great salvation. But let me tell you, the great salvation. The Savior had to die. The Savior wasn't delivered. The Savior had to be slain to work the great salvation with his Father, the Savior Jesus Christ, he wrought salvation and he wrought it with God. He wrought it with his Father. But he didn't wrought it or work it by escaping death. He wrought it by dying for us. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? This is where he's got the word from. Great salvation. How will we escape this great salvation, anything greater than Jonathan brought, that our Lord Jesus Christ had brought, the great salvation that he has died for.
And of course the Lord Jesus Christ was saved out of death. And he wrought the great salvation in his death. But he was raised from the dead. And he's a living saviour. Isn't that what Paul said in Hebrew? Uh, saved out of death. Saved from death. But it's not that he didn't die. It's that he was raised from it. Escaped from it. Like Jonah out of the fish's belly. Jesus Christ was raised from death. And he's a living saviour. And the tower of salvation is Jesus Christ. So it's all here. This Yeshua. God's salvation. And that's the book ends. That, that closes. And that's the saviour that Hannah rejoices in. Let us rejoice with her. Let us sing beside her. Let us say the same song. Let us say it every day. And the devil gets us down. And when Penina attacks us. And we see the Hophni and Phineas in the nation. Let us come to the place where the great high priest is seated. Let's put our hand on the throne of grace. And let's say, My heart rejoiceth in the Lord.